Good day, everyone, and welcome back to the Sachin Adam Show. So going along with our kind of focus on the, um, the intersection between business and impact, we have a very special guest on the show today in the name of Adam Milgram, who Adam will introduce in a second. Uh, yeah, so now. <laughs> we're super keen um, for our guest today because his career is literally like sort of a mirror of what we want to achieve. So to give a bit of a rundown, Adam is a venture partner um, at a company called Giant Leap Fund, which is Australia's first venture capital fund, which is 100% dedicated to impact investing. So this means investing not just for returns, not just for money, but looking at the actual social and environmental impact that you can make. Apart from that, Adam is also a board director at multiple companies such as Future Super and Your Grocer. He's an angel investor um, in a bit of his spare time. He's worked in marketing as his background um, and he studied at Monash University. So I've got a lot to work with there. Yeah, and um, before we kind of get into this, I just want to give Future Super a plug because Adam and I are people that are both very passionate about impact and that kind of stuff. And I realized my super was in a fund that was invested in fossil fuels. And I'm like... If I pretend to be this person in the daytime and my money is going towards this at the nighttime, I think it's very important for um, our audience to consider where your super is. Um, but yeah, as a first question, so Adam, you run the first kind of impact investment fund in Australia. Um, if you can tell a little bit, our audience, a little bit about what an impact fund is and how did people receive that idea when it initially came into fruition? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think that... Um, that's a really good place to start. So when, when we started the impact um, fund, the giant leap fund, um, we, we basically came with the thesis that um, all companies have an impact, um, good or bad on the world. Um, and as investors, you can, you can actually choose to support companies that have that good impact. And so we, we designed the fund to look for um, both the kind of returns that you'd normally expect um, from venture capital, but also to really care about what was motivating founders. Um, and so we looked at, um, we looked basically across the three things. We looked at um, the, the founder motivation. Um, do they care about the impact they're going to have on the world? Um, whether that impact is locked into the business model. So whether they whether, when they grow, when they scale the business, um, whether that impact will scale with them. Um, and so a good example of that would be, um, say an education business where um, if your impact is education, the more education you sell, the more impact you have. It's quite, it's, it's completely locked in. You can't, you can't make sales that don't have impact. Um, and, and I guess that's in contrast to a company that might um, give a percentage of profit um, to a, a charity, which is, which is also positively impactful and, and great for the world and much better than the alternative. But in those businesses, you could have a lot of sales without a lot of profit um, and therefore your impact might be a little bit more diluted. And so we were looking for companies where that was a really strong lock. Um, and then the other thing that was really important to us is that that impact was in some way measurable. Um, and that, that's probably the most um, challenging part of the impact space because often um, in the businesses, particularly in venture capital, that impact's not really measurable until you get to scale. Um, and so we would have, we would work with companies to come up with, um, ways to proxy or ways to estimate what, what was measurable within their impact. And that evolves over our relationship with them. Um, and so in answer to your question, um, what did people think when we first, um, started doing this? Um, 
I think that there were a couple of different things. Uh, one, we were a first time fund manager. So we, um, our, our team's got experience in other investing in property and infrastructure, um, but not in, um, not in venture capital specifically. Um, so there was a question um, as to whether we would be able to um, identify great companies. Um, there was a question of whether um, there, there were enough positively impactful companies um, that there, w- there would be companies to invest in. Um, and there was a question um, as to whether the returns would be um, basically the same as um, what we were what we we're going for. And um, so that was five years ago. We managed to um, find enough investors to believe us and to go on the journey with us. And we raised the fund. And um, since then, we've invested in 19 companies. We've looked at um, probably three or four thousand. So there's certainly been plenty of companies to um, look at and um, our returns, although it's still early days, um, are tracking um, alongside what we see as our peers who are in the non-impact space. So we, we really believe that we've, we've proven that kind of thesis over the last couple of years. Wow, that's an, a very extraordinary achievement, being able to have that impact and have those returns um, at the same time. Just to run back a little bit, what is the sort of starting point of what uh, gave you a passion for wanting to impact through finance and venture capital? Yeah, um, so I think that my, my upbringing or my, my kind of idea of the world when I was growing up is that you kind of, you made money doing business. And then if you were like a good person, you would give some or all of it away and in philanthropy. Um, and, but they, they were completely separate, um, things and you would like the idea of business was to do business. And the idea of um, philanthropy was to support your community and to, um, kind of give back and to, um, share, share that success. Um, and so I went through, um, when I was your age, I was, I was thinking, um, and people would ask me like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm going to do business. And like, I'm just going to sell something to someone and it doesn't really matter what I'm selling. Um, with the idea that um, uh, the the kind of the game or the what I really like was the the biz, the kind of game of business, um, and then I would always have this kind of philanthropic charity um, not for profit side um, on the other side, and um, I got to a point uh, in my late twenties where. Um, or maybe early thirties um, where I was like, actually, I don't care about selling shoes at all, which is the company that I was working with um, at the time. Uh, like I'm, I, I don't, I don't really want to make people like use my kind of skills to make people buy one more pair of shoes. Um, why don't I use my skills for something good? Um, and um, at that point I went to try and see if I could use my skills inside the not-for-profit world. I was like, okay, I'll take these business skills and I'll, I'll work with not-for-profits um, and um, realize pretty quickly that not-for-profits don't actually want to think about the world like business people do. Um, and that's for really good reason in a, in a lot of cases. Um, and while I was doing that, I was meeting people, I was speaking to, um, I, I was introduced to this idea of impact investing, which was this kind of exact intersection of like use skills for good um, and um, uh but use them in a way that does want to speak the language of business. Um, and for me that that was amazing. And I thought like it got, gave me the opportunity to kind of take the things that I've learned working with really big companies um, and apply them to small companies who had this passion and drive to change the world. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of us kind of have that aha moment when we're interested in entrepreneurship and business and also the whole impact side and we see that they can intersect and in Giant Leap's case, intersect with profitability, which I think is really awesome. And I really like how you touched on um, business as a vehicle for social change. And you said that um, businesses are going to either have good impact or bad impact. So why choose a bad impact businesses, which I think is really important. And I think that's a good segue into my next question about measuring impact. So we have a lot of, um, a lot of people that say they're impact funds in this day and age, a lot of people that say they want to make impact. And I think the interesting thing is that a lot of the kind of stereotypical venture funds that aren't impact focused, they still invest in businesses that are solving problems. So then it becomes hard to distinguish between what is impactful investing and what is just entrepreneurship and solving a problem. Um, so do you have anything to say about how Giant Leap measures impact? Yeah, so we, um, uh, so we at Giant Leap, we do two things. One is we, um, there's a framework developed by the Impact Management Project, which helps to classify um, a company as on the spectrum of impact, are they um, causing harm? Are they avoiding the cause of harm? Are they benefiting the communities or are they actually contributing to solutions? Um, and that spectrum kind of, um, depending on what kind of activity you're doing, you can place a company or an organization along that spectrum. Um, we then go um, to the next stage, which is to actually start to put some numbers behind that. So it might be um, if the impact is um, in education, it might be how many people educated to, or to what degree educated better than they would have in if they hadn't have gone through this um, company. Um, we, with um, Future Super, who's a portfolio company, we talk, we talk about um, the amount of carbon um, reduced because of their portfolios, um, because of um, Glam Corner, who's another portfolio company. We talk about tons of fashion or tons of clothing not gone to landfill. Um, so each company has this very specific metric that we work with the entrepreneurs to come up with. And out of curiosity with you mentioned, you had about 3000 companies that you've seen. Do you go through that process for each one or does that only happen further down the line? Yeah. So for every company that comes into our pipeline, um, we, we do an assessment basically, uh, uh, do they fit from an impact point of view? So that is, um, other founders, um, motivated by impact, is the revenue locked to impact and can you measure it? Um, that's kind of our service level. Um, and on the financial side, like are they in our stage? Is there, is there a big enough market opportunity? Are they solving a problem that there could be a financial um, benefit from? And so we do that kind of impact and financial screen, we call it, um, on, every, on all those 3,000 companies, um, oh. maybe more right now. Um, but then we... Um, through a due diligence process, we would we then filter those three thousand down into the about nineteen that we've invested in, um, and so we don't go through that whole process of measuring impact and working out exactly what the metrics would be over the full three thousand. But we probably start to do it. Um, we do it certainly before we invest. So we might might do that on something like fifty to hundred of those um, where we've actually gone through the process and thought about specifically if we invest in this company, what would we measure. Um, I do think it's an interesting thing what you've said, specifically in venture capital, entrepreneurs are almost always looking to solve problems. Um, and I think that really um, my personal philosophy is, is much more like impact is totally in the eyes of the beholder. So something that might be impact to you may not be impact for me or may just not drive me. Um, 
And whereas, um, so I, I don't think that um, at Giant Leap or, or me personally, we don't have a fixed view on what impact is. Uh, actually, my, my greatest desire is that everyone, if everyone worked on what they thought was positively impacting the world, um, that would be so much more awesome than where we are at the moment. Um, and so that, that for me would be my kind of desire. I, I wouldn't get too stuck on like the measurement. I would more start, get stuck on the intention. Yeah, no, and that's something that Adam and I have kind of come across recently. One of our idols, Chamath Palhapatia, who runs Social Capital, which is an incredible large um, venture capital fund with a social purpose. He says that when you accumulate capital, you're using it as, as a vote, using it as a vote of putting out what you want to see in the world to the world. And he said it's almost an arrogant point of view because you're saying that my view is important and it matters and I'm going to have a vote with it, um, which, which is an interesting way to conceive it. Yeah, I really liked your mentality, Adam, because that is true. Everybody has a different view of impact and the way that we want to shape the world. And the sort of like phrase that comes to mind for me is conscious capitalism, which is the idea of people just like stepping back, having a thought of the actions that they're doing, like what are they buying? How are they investing their money? And even regardless of whether we had all these frameworks and whatnot, if people actually thought about these decisions, we probably would make better decisions for everybody. And in saying that, can you provide some examples of um, companies in your own fund that you felt have had like a really great impact um, from your sort of vision of impact? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, so the, the interesting thing for me is like, we're, we're, we're an early stage venture capital fund. Um, and so a lot of the, the scale of impact that we um, are aiming for will, will, hasn't come yet. Um, to be frank, like, so we're, we're looking for companies that can have massive impact, um, but at their small scale, they, they don't necessarily. So probably a great example um, is um, your grocer, which is a food delivery business um, down in Melbourne, and they help independent grocers, bakers, butchers, um, g- give the convenience that Coles and Woolworths does. Um, but still be able to support local communities, independent grocers. They, they have far higher, um, biodiversity they buy from more farms um and that kind of stuff um at the moment we measure that impact based on basically dollars contained in local communities and they've um they've made they've kept somewhere six seven million dollars um in those local communities um what we see is the opportunity there is um if you look at um coles and woolworths they they buy just for one example um about five varieties of tomatoes um, across and they sell them to millions and millions of people. Um, independent, the 10,000 independent grocers um, that are in Australia would buy about 200 different varieties of tomatoes um, from all different farms, um, which creates much more biodiversity, um, which is much better for soil health, much better uh, for crop resistance, better for nutrition um, and better for consumer choice as well. Um, if your grocer can get to a point where they can um, help independent grocers compete to the same level of scale as Coles and Woolworths, then we can have this amazing impact all the way to the farm level, to the choice of crops. Um, that, that's the dream, right? Like we, we start to have like a full on systemic impact. Um, at the moment, we, we can't do that. So at the moment we can measure what we do um, and we kind of look at that. Um, and I guess across each company, we have that, same thing. So we have what impact they can do today and then what impact we can see them doing if, if they scale to the level that um, kind of we see their potential going to. 
Yeah, I think your gross is a fantastic example of that sort of impact that can be scaled. And it really brings to mind how important considering supply chains are. Because when you've got such big corporations that they go across the value chain, they might be vertically integrated. It's not just the end product that's having an impact, but it's every sort of step of that way. And if you can sort of come in, infiltrate that and change it in some way, that is huge scalable change. Yeah, and it's not that intuitive as well. Like when you hear your grocer, you don't probably, the average person probably doesn't understand the impact that that's having for our biodiversity, which I think is really interesting. I saw another one of your portfolio companies was Loop Plus. Um, I found them incredibly interesting because my dad's actually starting a business in the disability space and my brother has a disability. And it was really interesting seeing that your portfolio companies are so diverse. How did you come up with this kind of thesis of sustainable living, health and well-being, and empowering people? Like why those three things in particular? Um, that's a really interesting question. Um, so I think the part of it, when we, when we started Giant Leap, um, as I said, people were concerned that um, we may not be able to find the deal flow or the, the amount of opportunities that we needed to fill a fund. Um, and so we spoke a lot about... Um, how restrictive or unrestrictive we would be about where the impact um, we would find would be. Um, and we, we decided deliberately to, to be quite broad um, across. And so we, we, um, we chose those themes because they gave us the opportunity to, to be quite broad. And so we can do a food business, a fashion business, a superannuation business and a disability um, hardware business. Um, and that was a very deliberate choice. Um, part of the reason that is because we think that the, the mentality across our founders um, is actually very similar. Um, they, they all deeply, deeply care about the problems that they're solving. They're all finding unique ways to solve those problems. Um, and we see a great amount of overlap between the, the kind of challenges they face. And so we can actually connect those founders together and let them help each other. Um, despite the fact that they're in completely different sectors. Um, and so um, those things were kind of broad enough. We could find um, great companies within it, but also narrow enough that we knew that if we did find companies in it, there, there was a real impact there. And we weren't um, doing that kind of impact washing thing, um, which some, some get fall into the trap of. Yeah. I'd love to like take a deeper dive into the mechanics of the fund. So what was it like, um, first of all, raising capital for it. And second of all, um, you, you've mentioned um, stuff you look for, like founder, founder vision, um, the impact of the company, but breaking it down further, is there any kind of uh, color you can paint onto what specifically you look for in terms of business models, in terms of um, future growth? Yeah, sure. Um, so for capital raising, um, we we had, there's just a lot of conversations um, and it's actually quite similar to when investors are, when founders are looking to raise capital, um, you've got to build a network of investors who can support you. Um, they have to buy into the story. Um, they have to, um, so it, it's kind of like. Done like when you've never had a fund before, what's that conversation like? Because I imagine a lot of the times they'll ask you what, what makes, why would we give you money kind of thing? Yeah, that's exactly like, why, why are you like, what, and why do I have to, why should I trust you with these like tens or hundreds or millions of dollars? Um, that, that is literally the question you get asked. And um, so you try and build um, an evidence case. So in my case, um, I had experience doing angel investing. Um, Will Richardson, who's a managing partner on the fund um, and who did that, the heavy lifting on the fundraising 
um, had experience investing over um, a number of years through property and um, infrastructure. Um, and um, we had a team and we have a, we had an investment committee. And so we kind of built the support around us to help build that trust up. Um, and, but it took, I think it was probably 18 months of conversations between when we um, first started talking about the fund and when we finally closed and said, okay, we're not taking any more money for this fund. We're just going to go and deploy it and um, we'll come back later. Um, and so those come like that process is a, that's a real process um, and it takes a lot of conversations and you got to build trust and you got to tell people you're going to do something. A couple of things we did um, as a group, um, we made um, some seed investments um, to, to prove that the companies were, that were out there. So we did a couple of investments pre-fund um, to, to prove to investors. So kind of res responding to what investors were asking, like, are there really companies there? How do you know that um, they're going to accept your money, even if you, you did, even if we did raise it and um, all that kind of stuff? And so we, we tried to prove that. Um, but first time fund managers, it's super tough. It's really hard. It's like a lot of hard work. And I'm wondering, were people hesitant at all when you said the words that it was 100% dedicated to impact investing? Yeah, um, certainly we had to find like kind of uh, true believers is what I would say. Um, and we're, we were super lucky. We're, we're as part of uh, the Impact Investment Group, which is a broad um, investment um, company that invests in other assets all under impact. And so they had a, a great re relationship with investors and a reputation for doing impact investing. Um, so that certainly helped. Um, but yeah, there, there's a, I'm sure there's a number of investors who wrote us off because they saw impact and assumed that that meant that we wouldn't be able to deliver um, on the kind of financial rigor that they were would see elsewhere. Yeah, let's hope they regret that decision in the future. Um, going back a little bit to, you mentioned that angel investing and your team had experience in angel investing before, and that was really helpful for them kind of trusting you with their capital. Uh, for for young people that are interested in this space, right? Angel investing is it's stereotypically a high barrier to entry because one, the networks, and two, the capital required. Um, do you have any like tips or kind of um, timing? Like, do you have any? What I'm trying to say. Do you have any like ideas of when the right time in your life is to get into angel investing? Yeah. Um, so I I actually don't necessarily think that. Um, like you need to, or you could do angel investing. Like I think that the, the idea of being able to do angel investing is kind of a, um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things, reasons why it's challenging. First, first and foremost is like, you have to be able to write probably at least the $10,000 check and you probably have to be comfortable with that money never coming back. Or if it does come back, it's not going to come back for five or 10 years. Um, and so you can very quickly, Sit, like run out of money before you get any returns. Um, and so unless you have a really high paying job or um, some investments or savings or whatever, it's a hard space to break into. Um, the, the first place I actually did it, which may, which is a bit easier is you can do um, kind of like Kickstarter, but for equity. So there's a couple of platforms in Australia that do a virtual um, probably being the most prominent. And then there's angel list in the U S um, which also lets you do smaller checks. Um, the problem with that is you don't get much of a direct connection with the founders um, or no direct connection with the founders. Um, 
there's um and so i i actually think probably what i would do is i would start to build a paper portfolio um or like the companies you would invest in if you could um and start to see if you can meet founders who are starting these companies and introduce those founders to venture capitalists and so you can send them to me and say hey adam um i saw this company if i had the money i would invest um and that that's an amazing like you do that a couple of times with some great or great founders great companies um you will be noticed right like that is that is definitely um a skill that you can build um and it's not necessary to actually write the check yeah, and that, I think that advice came at the perfect time for us because yeah. uh, we've been having some conversations with some mentors about how we can add value to these people without much capital. And I think we're going to hit the stage in the next few years where it's literally like, do we consider buying a property or do we consider um, putting that money into angel? Uh, yeah, I think previously we thought, let's just try and buy a property as young as possible. But now it's like, let's just get all that money, put it into 10 startups. We're young. Let's do that risky stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I want to zoom out a little bit to see your perspective on how you think this is going to shape in sort of a macro level. So where do you see impact investing and this idea of socially responsible investing over the next 20 and 30 years? Do you think this is going to sort of be a dominant force in the world of investing in business? Yeah, I mean, that, that's certainly the dream, right? Like, uh, at least my dream is that um, we, we no longer have impact investing. We just have investing. Um, and it is obvious that everyone cares um, about the impact of their financial. Uh, for me, I, I see it as a responsibility. If you are lucky enough to, to be able to make investments, um, in the same way you talk about conscious capitalism, that we should care about where we spend our money. If you have money to invest, I think it's a responsibility to deploy that consciously. And to, to whoever's definition of consciously, um, thoughtfully, um, that that is so i i'm hopeful that we see continued pressure I, I think we're seeing huge amount of pressure from staff within organizations that um uh, and we see this all the way from small organizations to big companies um google and that microsoft and that their, their staff are actually um uh really conscious of whether what the company is doing is aligned to their values um, and we see that from customers in buying from companies that are aligned to values. And I think more and more we're seeing that um, from investors. And for me, the, that should be the default. And then um, the question for us in like kind of impact is like, how hard can we push? Um, like how, how far can we go? How much, how can we make sure that we're always at the cutting edge and leading the industry um, to make sure we're pushing ourselves as much as possible to a better future? Yeah, I think that's something we can all hope for. And I just think that intuitively it will happen because people realize that this capital needs to be allocated no matter what. So why don't we allocate it to some um, good investments? Uh, I just want to ask a little bit of a question for our student audience. So a lot of people have this idea of VC that it's like you meet founders all day. It's the best job in the world. You invest in startups. Uh, can you give us a little bit of a picture of what a day in the life is like in VC? Yeah, um, I... I <laughs> I'd love to paint it worse. I do think it's the best job. Um, it's certainly the best job that I've ever had. Um, it is really fun. I, I get so energized by meeting founders um, and seeing people who want to change the world, who see a problem, who see a future where that problem no longer exists and, and a pathway um, to kind of solve it. And 
they're full of enthusiasm um, and energy. Um, and um, I, that for me is just awesome. Um, I think that, so there, there is a big part of my day, which is meeting with potential investment companies. Um, the other part, I guess, is um, helping our existing portfolio. So um, at the start, you have no companies in your portfolio. You just have to meet companies all day. And then you get to a point where, um, which is where we are now, where we've got 18 or 19 companies in the portfolio. Um, a big part of our responsibility is to help them. Um, and on is that like, is that kind of a few hours a week or is it almost like you're another member of the company? Uh, it depends on the company and on the time and the relationship. So there's some companies where it might be uh, one phone call a quarter, um, like an hour a quarter. There's other companies where it might be two or three hours a week. Um, and depending on the relationship and what stage the company's at and whether um, we've got the skills to help them with the problem. So uh, to give you some ideas, I think at the moment um, we have a couple of companies recruiting. So we're trying to help them find great staff. We have um, companies doing their financial budgets for next year. So we're trying to help them um, understand what their kind of expenses, what how to predict their revenue um, might be. We've got um, companies dealing with uh, manufacturing challenges because of um, logistics and COVID. And so we're trying to help them with that. And we've got, um, so each company's kind of got its own thing going on. And sometimes there's overlap. And so we'll say, oh, this, you're solving this problem. This company's already solved that problem. You guys should chat. And sometimes it's finding other people from our network, or sometimes it's just saying, hey, it's like, I can't help you with that. I'm sorry, I'll help you with the next thing. Um, I think that that, like for me, that that, is like you have to be able to juggle all those quite well. Um, but that is like what makes it an interesting job. Yeah, it sounds like an incredibly diverse job. Like you're dealing with so many companies in different industries. And I was wondering, are there any distinct skills that people can cultivate to be able to be a good VC? Yeah, um, so I think that there's, there's lots of different types of VC. So there's not like one type of VC. There's um, the, the main skill is certainly being able to identify um, companies um, that are going to be great companies, like big impactful companies um, and convincing them to take your money. That's like, that is kind of like the, if you can only do one thing as a VC, that is definitely what you want to be doing. Um, the, then the next thing, the kind of thing after that, which is like, can you help companies? And there, there's a, there's a million different ways that you might be, um, able to help. And so it might be that you've previously been a founder yourself. And so you've got um, that understanding of how to actually build a company. It might be that you've been involved in big transactions, um, like mergers and acquisitions. Um, it might be that you've got a legal background. So you, you can help from that point of view. It might be that you've got a management consultant or a strategy background. Um, and so there's, there's heaps of different pathways into, into like why you might be helpful. Um, but certainly, um, having seen a lot, the more you've seen, um, the kind of more likely it is that you've seen something that um, is a, someone else to solve a similar problem. Um, so I think that it is, um, if, if you want to get into VC, one of the things you can do is try and um, get access or see a lot of different companies rather than just work in one company um, unless, you, unless you see a journey. So if you're working in one company, it'd be awesome if that company had gone on a massive journey. So started with two people, has a thousand people, you would have seen a lot, right? Like over that journey. Um, 
otherwise I think that um, if you just go into a company and you're in the same company for a long time and it hasn't changed very much, you probably don't get the depth of um, experience as you could potentially, but working for lots of different companies. And that might be um, working as a management consultant or in a marketing agency or whatever, where you see different companies, or it might just be having a lot of life experience and um, working for a couple of years at a, a bunch of different companies. Yeah, no, that's very practical advice, which is really awesome. I was going to ask you, if we zoom out a little bit again, what do you see as the future trends in technology and the future trends in like the businesses being created? Wow. Um, so, yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, or or I, if I think phrase it, um, what business should people be creating that hasn't been created yet? Um, My question to answer. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're huge questions. Um, so I, I, bet I don't really have a thesis of like what, what trends um, you should chase, but I do think that the, um, or what businesses, I, but I do think that there's some, some trends that we're still like, that probably feel like we're um, kind of overplayed, but that we're just at the start of. Um, and so I think, um, if, if you noticed around, um, because of COVID, um, online stores or e-commerce has massively accelerated. Um, that was a trend, like Amazon's a 20 plus year old company. Um, that was a trend that I would have thought would feel, had felt overplayed, um, but that we're still like, still just at the start of, and there's still a huge opportunity, a massive shift um, to the online. There's a, there's a massive shift um, still to um, SaaS businesses. Um, there's, a, there's a massive shift to um, being digitally first. And like we look at Zoom and um, there's, there's like kind of the early adopters, which at least for myself feels like everyone you know. Like, so the example. Um, as well, it can feel like that. Pardon? I said, especially when you're young as well, it can feel like it's already overplayed. Yeah. Um, it's like a good example is probably like, Netflix um, has like, it feels to me like everyone I know has Netflix. Or if they don't have it, they like have decided not to have it. Um, like they've made a conscious choice. But um, there's only a couple of hundred million people who have Netflix and there's 7 billion people in the world. And so like even something that feels ubiquitous um, still has a long, long way to play. And so I think that for me, when, you, when you're thinking about companies, um, it, I think it's like you can take things where um, these problems are half solved and it might feel like the whole opportunity is gone. But the reality is that if you've got tailwinds behind you and you've got a novel way to kind of um, continue to solve that problem better, the, the amount of um, space ahead of you um, is enormous. And we see that across, um, across every sector. Um, and so I think that that would be what I would be looking for. It's like, where, where is the, the kind of trend pushing you along where there's still huge opportunity for that to play out? Yeah. And I, Les Skelly said the exact same thing to us. He gave yeah. the example of um, print advertising. And he said that from when um, advertising started going online, it took 20 years for um, print advertising to hit its peak. And um, so I think, I think it's a common theme amongst our guests. Really good advice because I think, 
as we were saying, when you're in the midst of a trend, you feel like it's so drawn out. Like we feel Netflix has been around for a while. Even, even like Tesla, it. like three years ago, I was like, oh, was it's like not going to keep going up. Everyone knows about yeah. electric vehicles, right? But they haven't like... Um, California said by 2040, all electronic, all vehicles will be electric. So these trends are just starting. And and it's a great way. It's a great sort of framework to see companies in the world, like that sort of market sizing framework of like, how big is the world? How much has these companies penetrated the world? If we see it moving in a direction, then we can make pretty almost certain bets about where it's going to go. And I think it's important what you said as well to um, keep in mind of our demographic, like where, um, me and Adam and Gen Z is living in one of the most developed countries in the world. We're going to see these trends first and we're going to be exposed to yeah. them first. Yeah. And, and I'd love to um, sort of touch on a bit of a more personal note, a question that we ask most of our guests. Um, I'd love to know if there's any sort of books or role models which have like really influenced your journey in investing and the way you see the world because we sort of love to hear from our guests what influenced them. And then when we sort of touch on those readings, see if they can impact us. Maybe, even, maybe even podcasts as well. Oh, podcasts. Just keeping it on. And- yeah. Um, so there's a couple of great, po- I, I love podcasts. Um, probably um, from an investment point of view, um, there's two that I love. Um, one's called Invest Like the Best and the other's called Capital Allocators. Um, both um, uh, really great thinkers um, in kind of the investing space. Um, in the venture capital, there's a book by Brad Feld called Venture Deals. Yeah, um, recommended which, to us over and over again. It's, it seems like really hard to find the book. Um, you should be able to get it. So the, you should be able to get an old, they've just transferred, I think from like the third edition to the fourth edition, um, but you should be able to get an old edition. Um, I, I think I've got it on Kindle. Um, I don't know if they still if they're still downloadable, um, but they're pretty popular. You might even be able to find a PDF, yeah, um, somewhere. Um, the what else is good? I think that the for me, I think that it's the um, I I've seen myself go in and out of different trends through it, um, and so a, a book that was super influential to me, um, which actually um, is called um, Small Giants. Um, which was the um, a book that inspired the founders of the Impact Investment Group, and they actually um, called their, named their family office Small Giants after this book, um, which is about companies that choose to be um, great rather than big, um, and um, really thinking about like kind of how their impact in the world. And this was quite like quite an early book um, uh, in terms of the thinking of that. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, so they there's a huge amount um, of kind of influence that's come from that as well. Fantastic. We'll check those out and we'll put them in our show notes. Yeah. Um, so Adam, if we, we ask out all of our guests this at the end of our podcast, um, if there's one thing you can leave our audience with 18 to 25 years old, it doesn't have to be venture capital specific. Maybe it could even be something uh, learning from your career. Uh, what do you think that would be? Um, so I think, uh, let me give you two. One um, is if, if you want to have an impact in the world, um, don't feel like you have to wait. Uh, I think you can, you can start wherever you are in whatever way you can do um, with whatever tools you have. And so whether that is your purchasing power or your superannuation or where you choose to um, work, um, you, you have resources at your disposal that you, sh- you, can, you can kind of put towards whatever you're passionate about. Um, at, or actually, um, let me rephrase that. 
not what you're passionate about, what you're curious in and where you want to have impact. And Because I think that's some of the best advice that I got. I always felt that I was not passionate enough about any one thing, but I was curious about a lot. And so when people would say like, follow your passions, that, um, that was not great advice for me because it was just spread me too thin. But when, when I realized, when someone re recommended that I could um, follow my curiosity, um, I think that really took me on a, a very directive path because it was very clear to me, like where my curiosity was leading. And I was so curious about entrepreneurialism, so curious about venture capital, so curious about kind of how we can use business to change the world. Um, and that, kind of kicked me off on this path. And so I would say, follow, follow your curiosities. Wow, that's awesome advice. And I think in this podcast, we, a lot of the time when we talk to people that are in VC, we talk, we theorize about the world and talk about these big trends. But I think from you, we got a lot of really practical stuff about sort of working in this industry and advice for young yeah. people, which has been fantastic. So, something, um, if I can quickly challenge you on, is that you, you mentioned um, you don't have to wait, you can start now. But then before you also mentioned that, having those skills in law or management consulting or investment banking are helpful for the VC space. So uh, do you have any commentary on that? Yeah. So I think that um, if you want to be a VC specifically, um, I think you need to work out like what the trajectory is. Um, if, if you just want to work, if you just want to have a positive impact on the world, um, you don't have to wait. You can have a positive impact today. Um, I think that the, the challenge in VC is that, um, it's a, it's a tiny, tiny industry. Um, and even if you look at um, funds with huge mandates of hundreds of millions of dollars, their teams are extremely small. Um, and because you get a lot of leverage, you don't need that bigger team in venture capital. And so there's this challenge that you, um, if you want to, there's a lot of people who want to work in VC. And so you need to have like, you need to kind of raise the bar of like what experience you have or what you can bring to the table. Um, but it doesn't really matter what that is if you're great. Um, whereas um, I think that people, um, I, I've at least had experience where people are like, oh, I want to have impact later on, but now I have to just make money. And for me, um, that's a, a false um, narrative. You actually can start having impact straight away and you, can get, and you can make money. You can work for companies that you're passionate about. Um, if that's the end goal, if the end goal is just have positive impact on the world, um, I wouldn't wait. I would just find companies that were having the kind of impact you want um, and work with them and help them be great. Awesome. Thank you very much. This was an amazing episode. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Adam. Absolute pleasure. Really fun. Um, I look forward to interviewing you guys in the next opportunity. <laughs>